just about. Um, so if you do remember, Neville's already pointed out last last Sunday, uh, finished off by saying we're going to close out this series, and uh, and we just want to offer, we just want to offer a few moments down at the back. We're not going to do it at the front. We're going to, the boys, some of the, some of the guys are going to be down at the back and just offering prayer for people that want to, as we close this series out, that maybe just want to, in fresh surrender. Lay themselves once again in abandonment before the Lord. Maybe there's some things that as we've gone through this series that you have realized in moments of, of real honesty. Oh Jesus, I need to lay that down. I need to lay that down, Jesus. And uh, and we want to offer that opportunity um, just for people to rally around you, to pray for you. Hear from God what he maybe would want to say to you this morning. And so we want to do that, and uh, so just so it doesn't come as out of the blue at the end, um, we'd love to give enough time and space for that. Um, so with leaving enough time in mind, let me go. Let's go quick. Um, finished off last week as, as Neville brought our time to close, and, uh, and as we closed out last Sunday morning in worship, Felt this felt it was maybe just a personal thing, but I offered it. I offered it to the family. I offered it to the church last Sunday morning. Um, that that so often as we come around the word, as we come uh, as we come around worship, that we become familiar. Rightly so. Rightly so, we become familiar with the way, the, the words of Jesus. We become familiar with the works of Jesus. But I think as we've gone through this series, as I've personally gone through this series, um, I'm, I'm seeing that I want to be one that actually follows his way. That follows his way. And I think that, that, that takes in his words, it takes in his works. But there's been something about, for me anyway, about being familiar with his way. See, the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus was one of this. And as even even though tonight, even though today finishes this series, uh, beautiful surrender, the reality is, as we continue to talk about Jesus, every Sunday morning should be presenting Jesus. I want to know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. And as we come every Sunday, we want to continue to lift up His name, continue to present the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. And so, in many ways, we'll always be talking about one who who showed us the most wonderful example of surrender. Surrender that was so beautiful. Jesus, his whole life was one of surrender. Two weeks ago, we, we, we celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated the moment where Jesus conquered death, destroyed the powers, and, uh, and offered, us, offered us the opportunity to take back what we'd given away at the fall. And it's great that we come to the cross and remember this moment of surrender where he gave his life, where Jesus laid down his life for the world. But his whole life was one of surrender. Philippians chapter 2, definitely up there with one of my favorite parts of the Bible, where, where, where Paul writes these incredible words showing us the life of surrender that Jesus lived right from the beginning. One who laid down his life. 
the one who exchanged the glory and majesty. One who exchanged the glory and majesty of, of heaven and being with Father took on the nature of a servant. Emptied himself of all of that so he could come and take on the nature of a servant. And he reminds us, Jesus reminds us himself in the Gospel of Luke. That he came, he came not to be served but to serve. He exchanged glory and majesty, authority and power. Took on the nature of a servant. Right from the beginning, one of a, a life of incredible surrender. A life of beautiful surrender. He came to serve. Jesus lives to serve you. Jesus lives in intercession for you, even now. Longing, as we've sang, longing that you would know that you're loved today. His great desire as he sits before the Father in intercession for you, that, that they would know you. We see something of that as, of his prayer in John 17. Father, that they would know that they're loved, that they would know that I am in them and you are in them, that we abide in them, that they would know that. It's my prayer for them. And he continues to pray that, he continues in intercession before the Father to, to, to ask, Father, let them know that they're loved. And Jesus was obedient. The Philippians 2 reminds us he was obedient to death. And so the cross, which, as we approached it two weeks ago, and we want to daily, we want to daily approach the cross. We want to daily approach Jesus in repentance and a fresh cry for his mercy and reminded of his goodness. But we approach it, in many ways, it looked, to the, uh, to the naked eye, on the surface, it looked ugly and it looked brutal. But Jesus manages to take this, this instrument of brutal execution and turn it into a thing of beauty. The cross exchanged an instrument of torture to a, a thing of beauty. That's what Jesus did. And something that looked brutal, something that looked ugly was in fact the most beautiful act of surrender. Brian Zand, an author that, that I really appreciate said it's beauty it's this beauty that saves the world beauty that saves the world Hebrews chapter 2 I've been reading through Hebrews just in my own quiet time over the last week or so and uh, and the writer of the Hebrews says that he came he was the one that came to destroy the power of death and just before the writer of the Hebrews says that he says that he, he came because he had to. It's imperative to him that he shared in our humanity. He came and he shared in our humanity so that he could, he could go to the cross and destroy the power, the one who holds the power of death. That's in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2, that he shared in our humanity. And in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, we have this incredible line. Therefore, brothers and sisters, or something along those lines, you who share in his heavenly calling. Oh yeah, thanks, Kelly. Dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven. The NIV says, those who, who share in his heavenly calling. Amazing. He came 
to share in our humanity so that we would share in his heavenly calling. Incredible. He's so good. He came to share our humanity so that we could share in his heavenly calling as brothers and sisters. And so all along, all along this series, we've presented it from different angles. We've, we've shared it. Uh, Neville shared it. David shared it. Amy shared it. We've just been presenting different ways that hopefully will engage as many of you as possible. And, uh, but, but ultimately, we want to show that, that his way, the way of Jesus is one that, that shows, reveals its self-denial is the only way to fulfillment. Self-denial is the only way to fulfillment. See, we, we love, we appreciate this, the inspirational messages. We, we love those inspirational preaches on self-fulfilling lives, living a life, living a life of self-fulfillment, living a life that is your best life now. And we love all of those inspirational talks. And I don't want to necessarily dismiss them all, but what I want to say is that through the way of Jesus, we see that self-denial is the only way that leads to fulfillment. And this is why this series has been so important for me. Because I want to live a life of purpose. I want to live a life that discovers my calling. I want to live a life where I truly know what it is to follow Jesus. And I can't avoid, I can't avoid seeing that it's in laying down my life. It's in living a life of self-denial. It's living a life of surrender. It's the only way to know fulfillment. It's the only way to discover purpose. It's the only way to truly follow Jesus. And, and the Gospels are peppered with this language of Jesus. They're peppered with this sort of talk. If you want to find life, and everybody's at the end, yes, I want to find life. Tell me how I find life, Jesus. Because we've never heard anybody that teaches the way you do. We've never experienced somebody like you, Jesus. And now you're asking us, do you want to know how to find life? Yes. Tell me. Lose it. And then we come to another part. In Luke chapter 6, I think it is, he's saying, do you want to know how to gain? Do you want to know what it is to gain life? To gain fulfillment? To gain satisfaction? Yes, Jesus. Never heard anybody like you. You're the one that holds the keys to wisdom, to eternal life. We want to know what you have to say and how we find a way to gain life. All right, listen, close, give it away. Lay it down. And Jesus continues as he goes through his life. The way of Jesus just goes against everything that anybody ever expected. You want to find life, you've got to lose it. You want to gain life, You've got to give it away. And as we were praying for Bridget earlier, I strangely, vividly was reminded of the book that our kids, especially Jada, love to read. And I don't know if some of you have read it. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. We're not scared. What a beautiful day. Uh Uh-oh. Long grass. Swish, swash, swish, swash keeps going to the every time it gets to some other obstacle some other hurdle it's uh, it says we can't go over it we can't go under it oh no we've got 
to go through it. And so when it comes to issues around suffering, when it comes to issues around difficult moments of our life, sometimes, and maybe this is just me, again, maybe I feel like God's just speaking to me for me this morning, but let me offer it to you again that I think I, I, I want to come to Jesus. I want to come to his word. God, I'm faced with this hurdle. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking. Look, God, how can I get under this? How can I get over this? How can I get around it? And every time I find myself coming to, the, to Jesus, I'm like, oh no. I've got to go through it. Stumble trip. Stumble trip. Stumble trip. completely lost my flow now. But I think I'll pick it up in a moment or two why I'm offering that. Let me, let me remind you of what we started out our year with. Jesus, Jesus turns everything on its head. I hope we've seen that throughout this series. Jesus turns everything on his head. Jesus, we're going to make you king. And they're ready to make him king by force. But Jesus, you, you've missed it. You haven't got it. I've come to be king through surrender. I've come to, to, to rule and to reign through offering, giving my life away. He turns everything on his head. And at the start of the year, we talked about fasting. And I want to keep encouraging you that you would be a, you would be a person, you would be a people that would fast. Because I think Jesus even has turned that on its head for me. So I've come to realize the significance of, of fasting being an integral part of my Christian life. I've come to realize that actually, I, I, I want to know, know fulfillment. It's in denying of self. And I've found that as I've, as I've committed myself to being one who will fast. And I think it's, somebody can correct me. It's Spurgeon, or one of those uh, old, classic, wonderful, old-time preachers that said this line, fasting is feasting. And I've never really understood that. I've heard somebody, I've heard it, the, somebody wise quote it, and I've heard other people pick up on it. But I've never really understood it. I've never really got it. Fasting is definitely not feasting, my experience of it. But actually what I've, come to, what I've come to realize is that it is so true. Because I always thought that fasting was a suppression of desire. Trying to suppress the desire to eat. And that is, in a, in a, that is to a degree what's going on. But fasting for me has become so much more than that. It maybe is a suppression of desire, but it's so much more than suppressing desire. It's actually an intense pursuit of him. It becomes a feeling. It becomes like I'm feasting because this is not, I'm not doing this necessarily to suppress desire. I'm doing it because my, my pursuit of him is so much greater than the desire to eat. Maybe you are so familiar with fasting that flip me, it's about time you caught up. We know all about that. We've always been feasting. We've always been making this declaration that God, you're enough. That's what, I'm do, that's what I feel like I've been able to do increasingly as I make it a habit, as I make it a rhythm of my life. Every time I do it, God, you're enough. 
increasingly reminded every time a fast, every time the, the tummy rumbles or whatever, God, you're enough. And I'm going to keep on making this declaration that you're enough. I'm going to keep on, I'm not even doing this intent, to suppress desire. I'm doing it because I'm so, I'm so intensely pursuing you. The truth is, my experience increasingly is becoming the days that I fast, there is, if I was to go through the, if I was to go through my journal and to, and to find the moments of, of greater clarity, to find the moments where my ears seem open that bit wider, my heart seems that much softer, it'll always be, it always seems to be on the days that I'm fasting because my ears seem to be that much wider open. My heart is so much more sensitive to his presence. My heart is so much more sensitive to his presence when I'm declaring that you're enough, when my pursuit of him becomes increasingly more intense. See, I love Acts 13. I love Acts 13 because these guys were so hungry. They were so hungry for the word of God. They were so hungry. There was a spiritual hunger for God's voice that they committed themselves to fasting and to praying. And there's a word spoken. There's a word spoken in a moment that there's spiritual hunger, that there's this spiritual hunger for God's voice. You know, those of us that were here for Eugene's series, if you remember, there's a moment that he said, if you're not hearing clearly the voice of God, that's when you know it's time to fast. And so I, I, I submit that to you from the lips of Eugene, that if you're not hearing clearly, if you feel that you're in a moment where you're not hearing clearly from God, it's time to fast. Or in the words of Spurgeon or whoever this writer was, it's time to feast. It's time to feast. See, I've, I've been so grateful for this series. I've been so grateful for the thoughts that have just begun to gather as we've taken this on together. I'm so grateful for the conversations that have, that have risen from just, from, from a lot of you. Because I've come to realize for me, the self-fulfillment stuff, the self-fulfillment preaches that we offer, that I am so tempted to offer over and over again, they end up giving a version of spirituality that is so tame. It gives a version of spirituality that is so safe. And I go and I witness, I watch, I observe the way of Jesus. And there is nothing tame about it. There is nothing safe about following Jesus. And if we want to take God seriously, and ultimately that's what we want to do. We, we want every series, we want every song that we sing, we want every, every meeting that we come to, to be able to God, we're taking you seriously. We're taking your word seriously. We're taking your ways seriously. We're taking the call of the call that you've placed on our lives seriously. And so we're willing. We're we become increasingly as we, the more we serious we take that, the more willing we are to lay down our lives. The more willing that we are to deny ourselves. And I'm so rubbish at, at, at titling my sermons, but there's a part of me that is so tempted to title this sermon. Following Jesus is going to mess up your life. Following Jesus 
it's going to mess up your life. But I'm too scared to do that. But, but, but hear my point. The point is that, that if you're going to take them seriously, it's going to, it is, it's going to mess up your life. It's going to, it's going to make you incredibly uncomfortable. Following Jesus, living a life of surrender, is going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to mess up your priorities. It's going to mess up your plans. It's going to mess up your ambitions. See, self-fulfillment talks don't allow for that. But I'm what trying to. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to follow His ways. I'm coming to see that everybody that takes Him seriously, everybody that takes His word seriously, everybody that takes the, His calling seriously, He makes their lives uncomfortable. He makes their lives. He messes it up in the most wonderful way. And I want to suggest. I want to submit that that he does that, he makes us uncomfortable, that he messes things up because he needs, and he, needs to do, he will do anything to overcome your self-centeredness. He will do it in the most merciful, gentle, gracious way. That's what he's done for me. But he wants to make me uncomfortable. He wants me to wrestle with some of the things that he reveals through his word. He wants me to wrestle with all of that because he's longing that I will overcome my self-centeredness. And so we can present, no matter, that applies to whatever we want to talk about. That applies to worship. It applies to church. It applies to mission. It applies to every, every part, every, every element of our lives. Our greatest desire is that we would overcome our self-centeredness. We would overcome making it about me. Jesus has, a, I think, he's a way of doing that so graciously, so gently. But I think he unashamedly wants to mess up your life. I think he wants to make you uncomfortable. He wants you to wrestle. And so if, I'm, if, if there's sound bites being taken out of this message, it's going to sound horrendous. I'm aware of that. But I'm hoping that you see what I'm trying to catch in just the bigger picture of this series bigger picture of the of the life that God is calling his people into I'm so grateful for the cross I'm so grateful for the resurrection so grateful for that victory that as the as the as Jesus breathed his last the, the veil was torn as we sang and everything was different that day. Death had been defeated. The powers that that so easily consume and the idols that take over our lives had been defeated. But I, I'm reading John, uh, reading through Second Corinthians chapter four during the week, and I'm I said, don't, I'm thinking to myself, don't celebrate this. Don't celebrate this as a one-off victory as if there would be no more follow-up victories to be won. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, another part of the word that has become so, so special for me is remi- being reminded, Paul reminding us that we are now a new creation. 
that we are now new creatures in Christ. His love compels us. Now that we're in Christ, the old is gone and new has come. We are his ambassadors. We are his agents of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors of hope. But let me read a few verses just on down as Paul continues his letter. And at the start of chapter 6, he's still, he's still gearing them up. You're a new creation. You are, because of what, because of what the cross has achieved, because of the resurrection, because we, that, the victory was won for you, and now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. He says that at the start of chapter 6, and then goes on in verse 4 of Second Corinthians chapter 6. This is how Paul is commending himself. We commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten but not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Yay. Beaten, left for dead, having nothing, and then he says, but possessing everything. So I, I, I'm, I'm so guilty of this. I consider bringing a, an encouraging word, and God, Christ's love compels you. You're a new creation. You are ambassadors of hope. You're agents of reconciliation. And Jesus says now that now is the day of salvation. Now is the kairos moment. Verse 2 of Second Corinthians 6. Now is divine opportunity. Yes, presented that. But then I read on a couple of verses. Like, oh my goodness, I'm not reading that. How do I get through all this encouragement, life-giving, building up, and then show what, it, what that sort of following after that life could potentially lead to? Could potentially lead to you your life being messed up, potentially lead to your priorities shifting dramatically, could potentially lead to you feeling very uncomfortable. As I've challenged myself over these seven weeks, I've found my... Actually, I just don't think it's fair anymore to present 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 6 without saying, but this is what it could look like. My heart is to present Romans chapter 8, that you are now sons and daughters, that you are now heirs with God, that you are now co-heirs with Christ. I want to offer that to you to encourage you to build you up, but I can no longer, I can no longer not offer you what that could look like. You're co-heirs. That's, nothing's changing there. You're heirs with God, you're co-heirs with Christ, provided that you're willing to suffer the same way that he suffered. Provided you're willing to share in his suffering. 
And we're so grateful that Hebrews told us that he came to share in our humanity so that we could share in his heavenly calling. But his heavenly calling was one of suffering. His heavenly calling was one of self-denial. His calling was one of laying down his life. See, Peter, Peter picks up something similar. You suffer for doing good and you endure it. He's asking the question. You suffer for doing good and you endure it. Well, this is commendable before God. And then says, to this you were called. So we all want to know the, the will, or God's will. What's God's will for our lives? If you read First Peter 2 verse 21, you'll get uncomfortable reading. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. I'm not offering this to you as if this is still not some personal stuff that I need to wrestle with. I want to be so truthful to this word. I so want to elevate this word. If we want to talk about self-fulfillment, if we want to talk about finding our purpose, if we want to talk about finding our calling, we need to be aware that it's following the way of Jesus. It's following after him in his footsteps. And I want to finish off. If I've really upset or offended, I hope I haven't. But I want to finish this off just by looking at John chapter 21. Please, if there's something that's upset or just jarred with you, please uh, let's have a conversation. But I, want to, I just want to end our time because... I, Peter got this. Peter understood this. Peter understood this is with the footsteps that he was called to follow in, which is why he offers it in First Peter chapter 2. But I want to end with Peter's reinstatement. In John chapter 21, um, Peter, Simon Peter, has went back to fishing. In John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter is... In the way that he does, so impulsively, he said, Jesus, I am not listening to all of this talk about you having to lose your life, about you going to the cross. I'm, I'm not, can't cope with all of that. Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going to follow you right to the end. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Is exactly what Peter says in John 13, verse 37. Jesus, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And I don't even think hours have passed till Peter is around the fire, around the open fire in the courtyard. And he says, I have no idea who that man is. Not willing to sacrifice my reputation for this, to say that I know Jesus. He wasn't willing to sacrifice his reputation and three times denied him, ran out weeping. And Jesus, has, Jesus has, is, truly was who he said he was all along. He's, he's come back from the dead and he showed himself to the, to the disciples. 
But I don't know how many days have passed. John, the start of John 21 says afterwards, Jesus again appeared to his disciples. But what we do know is that Peter had went back to Peter went back to what he knew. Peter went back to fishing. He'd taken up the career that he was in before he'd given his life, surrendered everything to follow after Jesus. He's found himself back in that place again. Probably still feeling that he'd messed up. Probably still hearing those words as he went to bed at night. Jesus, I lay my life down for you. Little did he know it, not that long afterwards, Jesus would be hanging on the cross, breathing his last, and how Peter must have felt. And even though Jesus came and appeared to him, he obviously was still carrying this. I think he was still, maybe not obviously, but he was still carrying this, I think. The pain of saying that he would surrender everything. He'd do whatever it took to follow after Jesus. He would sacrifice himself. And then we come and Jesus stands at the beach. They're out fishing. Tells them to throw their nets out. And then John recognizes that it's Jesus who's told them to do that. Verse 7 says, The disciple whom Jesus loved said, It's Jesus. And so not that this is important, but the, the, the boat was only 90 meters from shore. That's why I was marking that out. It's three times the length of this building. Not very big, not very long. Less than 100 meters. They're out that far from the shore. And Peter hears John saying, it's Jesus. And he, I don't know what he whips off, his garment, some garment. And, uh, and runs for Jesus. So I don't, I'm not, I don't know anything about boats or anything about fishing. Or how long it would take to row 90 meters into shore. But I know that it, I know for me, maybe it's just because I'm unfit, it took me a while to run, start running. I think the faster you try to run in water, the slower it feels that you're running. And Peter runs for Jesus. And I just, I'm saying all of that just to say that I think some of us need to surrender our dignity. I think we become so afraid of what other people will think around us that we, that we'll just not surrender we'll just not give up we'll be so so consumed by what others around us will say if we act in such a way that is outside the norm see the norm would just be let's just row in Jesus is right there just let's row in but Peter's like no I'm I'm going I want to I want to get them as quick as I possibly can and Jesus and Paul Peter arrives at Jesus standing before him soaking Dripping wet. And in my head I imagine the, the, the boat coming behind him like 30 seconds later. Out of the boat. Nice and dry. Respectable. Normal. Peter standing before Jesus. Soaking. Dripping wet. As he's ran that 90 meters to make sure that he, that he gets to Jesus. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that. I'm saying that offering that to us all I know I need to hear it I want to I want to be like Peter I want to surrender any concern of what other people around me will say if I just if I just intensely pursue I don't care how it looks I don't care how ridiculous I look running through the water 
I don't care how ridiculous I look when I get to the end and I'm standing, sweating, knackered. I don't, I, I don't care. I'm able to surrender that dignity and that poise that I think that I need to have to, to really follow after Jesus well. And then Peter, Jesus says in this reinstatement of Peter, when they had finished eating, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, we'll feed my lambs. He asks him a second time, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He was so upset. Jesus, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says again, feed my sheep. And I think, uh, I think that, that Peter possibly, give me a bit of license here, but I think Peter thought back to just a few days before Jesus went to the cross when he said to them, that all men will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And, if, and, and in the midst of that same conversation, Jesus says in John 15, greater love, the greatest demonstration of love is to lay down your life for your friends. And I think maybe Peter's mind would have went even a few, I don't know how long ago it was, a few days, weeks back, when Jesus in John chapter 10 tells the crowd of people, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd and I so want to take care of the sheep. I so want to feed my lambs. I so want to take care of them and protect them that I'll lay down my life. I'll lay down my life. And I think, that's, I think as Peter began to meditate on that, after Jesus has said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, I think Peter would have went back to that moment when Jesus was saying, Peter, this is what you need to do. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared to lay down your life. You, you want to you love people. You want to show the world the love that you have for each other, the love that has, has changed your lives, has transformed you guys. Well, they're going to see it by the love that you have for one another. And that love is demonstrated. That love is demonstrated by your willingness to lay down your life for your friends. And I think that shepherd imagery, maybe I'm off, but I think Peter begins to meditate on that. It's like if I want to love people, I think something of what David shared is really important. If you want to love people really well, if you want to be a good friend, you need to be prepared to lay down your life. We want to do this for Jesus. But Jesus is saying that, and doing it, and doing it if you want to do it for him, then you're going to, have to, you're going to have to be prepared to do it for others to deny yourself, to be a true friend, to show that you truly love people and you need to be prepared to lay down your life. And Peter is still, I love it, Peter, the, the, the Bible is unashamed in showing that Peter still wrestles with some stuff. And Peter says, but Jesus, what about John? Is he going to have to do all that you're asking me to do? Jesus, I, I, I hear you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to lay down my life. I'm going to have to surrender. But what about him? Does he have to do it? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. You worry about you. Worry about you. you worry about the commitment that you're going to make. And that's what we want to do as we finish. 
we, we want to take this as a church corporately. We want to take so seriously the call of God. We want to take so seriously what his word. We want to take so seriously the call and the purpose that he has for us as a church family. But I'd love us that as the, as the girls come and, and just finish off with this last song that, that maybe we'd forget about those sitting around us. In the same way that Jesus said to Peter, don't worry. They ha- they're going to have to make their own commitment. They're going to have to make their own call. But you determine in your heart that you're going to deny yourself. You determine in your heart that you're going to lay your life down. You make that determination this morning. That's what I'm asking that you would do this morning. I think it's really important to say, as I, just as I was praying before I came here this morning, and I felt the Lord draw my attention to 21, John 21, verse 9. Where, where Jesus, uh, where Jesus um, has made them their breakfast, and and he is talking to Peter around the fire, around the open fire. And and what I think is beautiful about that is that Jesus is almost recreating the place where Peter felt that he failed the most. It was around the open fire. It was around people warming themselves around the fire that 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 Peter had realized that he denied Jesus and he ran from that open fire weeping weeping because he knew that he that he that he had denied Jesus and again maybe I'm maybe I'm trying to get too much license off you this morning but I think that that Jesus gets to the beach and he creates the scene where Jesus where Peter experiences greatest failure and Jesus created that moment didn't, didn't, didn't avoid it, didn't take him away to another place, but said, let's, let's meet at this point where you think that you failed me the most, let's meet here. And I'm going to reinstate you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to say, to say what you said in John 13, verse 37. I'm going to give you the chance again to say, Jesus, you're so good. You're so full of grace and you're so full of mercy that you're giving me the opportunity to again say, I will lay down my life for you lay my life down for you again Jesus I'm wanting to offer that as an opportunity for us I'd love that you would take that opportunity and you can, you can do it in, in the quietness of your own heart as we stand and sing this song together but if you want to gather around somebody and if you want somebody to pray with you and almost create that moment create that moment where you'd say guys I, I, this is where I feel the most around an open fire, wherever your open fire moment is. Allow Jesus to meet you at your point of your seemingly greatest failure and have that chance to once again say, Jesus, I'm going to lay down